of, of Christ. And we are in a generation right now, and that generation has a specific culture. And yet Christians live in that culture, and the gospel we know is transcendent. So we're going to talk about what happens. We're going to look at about three different places in the book of Acts tonight. What takes place when the gospel comes into the culture, this collision that happens, and then we're going to wrap it up with, with what are we to do as, uh, as believers. Um, there has been a, uh, a boom heard around uh, the world, at least uh, from, uh, from the uh, Pacific coast to the, to the Atlantic in the last few weeks with the Supreme Court ruling. But as we said um, uh, several times, th- this is not new. Uh, a cultural war has been taking place all the way back since the time that Jesus walked on on the earth, and 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 his ministry actually brought this confrontation that we're we're caught up in the middle of. Um, we're we've dedicated Sunday nights to this concept of of current issues, the culture, and the gospel. And you remember we kicked it off with. Uh, uh, with Pastor Scarlett, and he talked primarily about evangelism, about our charge to reach the culture with the gospel. Then we went to a healthy church, uh, looked at the budget, heard from our finance committee. We heard Islam from Pastor Jeff, and then the whole issue of homosexuality, me on Sunday morning and Pastor Nathan on Sunday night. Then we had a break for the fourth, and tonight is kind of hit the reset button and kick off the second the second half, the second session, which is why we've got the pizza and the frosty penguin and all of those, uh, all those wonderful things. Um, this second half of Recharge, we're going to be covering some really interesting topics. Uh, technology and social media, how you're to respond to that with, uh, with the gospel and being believers. You know, do we embrace technology? Uh, to what extent do we embrace technology? Social media... How should you act on social media? That's a lesson I think that a lot of us could take, uh, could, could take note of. We'll also be talking about uh, the gospel and politics and the election. Uh, that's coming up in the second half of Recharge. And then also uh, life, abortion, adoption. All of that will be, will be a topic. So some really, really good stuff uh, coming up. Again, tonight I just want to talk to you about how the gospel interacts with the culture and what the culture does and what you should expect and then what your responsibility is, my responsibility as, uh, uh, as, as believers. And I want to start by starting in John 15. So I want you to open your Bibles to John 15. This is not where we're going to be, but I just want to set the table for us tonight and just remind you that, that this cultural war didn't start with the Supreme Court decision. In fact, it goes all the way back to the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at John 15. Now, this is the chapter about the vine and the branches. But Jesus says something very significant for us, beginning in verse 18. And you know the passage as soon as I begin to read it. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Now, I want you to note a couple of things here just to set the table before we go to the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, we're going to see real-life Christianity coming in contact with real-life culture. And then we're going to parallel that to what we're facing today and how we respond in, in our day. And I'd say any Christian in, in any time, in any place. Jesus sets the table here in John 15. The first thing I want you to notice is the prior warning. Okay? None of us were surprised, nor should, nor should you have been surprised, by the Supreme Court ruling in the fact that there are primarily, nobody knows the hearts of men, but the majority of people there are unbelievers. Did it shock you that unbelievers took a position? Now, it's grieving. It's shocking in the sense that we've never been in that type of situation in the United States before where sin has been institutionalized. But it shouldn't shock you that believers, that unbelievers act like, like unbelievers. Jesus here gives us a prior warning. And the prior warning is the world hated Christ long before it came to hate the, the church or the positions that we hold as the church. The world, in verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. There's the prior warning. Second thing Jesus sets the table with is I want you to notice that love or hate is attached to your relationship to Christ or being a fellow worldling. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I want you to notice that the love-hate, the way that the culture, the way that the world responds to you is completely based upon your relationship to Christ or to the, or to the world. You're either a fellow worldling, and if you are a fellow worldling, then, then the world loves you. If you are a fellow Christian, then the world hates you. I mean, this is very... Simple, black and white type of, type of teaching that Jesus sets here. I also want you to notice that this confrontation, this love-hate relationship, this, this, this war, if you will, that you should expect, that you have prior warning of, is part of being a Christian. I want you to look at what he says here in verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. This is something that Jesus has already instructed them about. Remember the word that I said unto you. Listen to the words I say, right? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's not if that happens. Did they persecute Jesus? They persecuted Jesus. They killed Jesus. Did Jesus deserve to die? Did he do anything? No. He says, if they persecuted me, and you know that they did persecute me, therefore, being one of my followers, they'll do the same thing to you. This is not something that may happen to you or to me. As a believer, this is normative practice. This is what is part, what it means to be part of being a Christian, the servant master. Also, you want you to notice... The response is based upon their relationship 
to, to Christ. They'll react to you based upon your relationship to Christ, and they'll also respond based upon their relationship to Christ. Look at what he says here at the end in, in verse uh, 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. That is, if they kept to my word, they'll keep yours also. But because they did not know him who, who sent me. Um, there's no in-between here. They do it on account of my name, Jesus says, or they don't because they don't know the Father who, who sent him. And the gospel and the culture always have and always will collide. The only way that it won't collide is if you are dealing with fellow Christians, fellow believers. The, there should be no collision in the church because we're all unified in the gospel. We're all Christians here. The church is for sinners and it's only for repentant sinners. So there shouldn't be any disagreement here. So Jesus says there's unity in the body. We're bound together in the gospel. They'll know that you're Christians by your love for one another. How you, how you, how you strive together with one mind and one purpose like in Philippians. That's how you know that you're Christians. In the church, there's, there's unity. There's, there's no confrontation. There's no division. I understand when sin happens, that will take place and we have to deal with that as, as being fallen creatures in a fallen world. But the church, there's agreement. But the church has no agreement with, with the world. And the world has no agreement with the church because you're talking about two completely different animals, if you, if you will. So based upon that, with that table being set, what Jesus instructs, I want you to turn to Acts 19. We're going to start there. And we kind of have this little case study in Acts 19. We're also going to look in Acts 16. And if we have time, we'll look at Acts 9 as well. But Acts 19 and Acts 16, they're case studies. You know, the book of Acts is, is how the gospel is spreading throughout the culture and how churches are being planted and, and how, how the gospel is, is advancing. And you kind of have this little case study. Anybody know what a case study is in business? When I was at Marshall University in business, one of the only classes that I remember getting anything out of was one of my final management classes where you did a case study. And the case study that we did was uh, Union Carbide. Anybody know what Union Carbide is? It's a chemical plant that makes MIC, um, methyl isocyanate. I think that's the way that it's said. It's the, it's the really, really bad stuff that kills you if it gets out. Do you remember the, the, the uh, carbide incident with MIC in Bhopal, India years ago where there was a bunch of people that got killed because of a, because of a chemical leak? Well... We did a business case study on that. And it actually looked at all of the different factors, why that took place and how that should have been handled. How did Carbide respond as a business and and otherwise? Well, you're going to see in Acts 19 a case study of what happens in Ephesus. What happens when the gospel invades the culture? How the culture responds and the collision that takes place. And then we're going to apply that to to our lives today to set the table for, for this next session. I picked Acts 19 because it's one of the longest in the Bible. It includes the riot at Ephesus. Now, when you think about Ephesus, if you went on the TCS trip, you probably are picturing it in your mind. And you remember the little statues. You remember probably where they walked you about halfway down the hill and they showed you 
the, the, where the Nike swoosh came from uh, because of the, 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 the god there, the little Roman god of victory, the goddess of victory. You probably remember just about every place you went, there was a statue or there was a shrine or there was, a, there was an idol. We don't have those in our culture today as far as the statues, but, but we do have idols in our culture. And we do have shrines. Um, in our day, you wouldn't just go to a single place like Rome or Ephesus to find idols. In our world, we have idols that, that rule in a lot of different places. In Washington, there are idols that, that rule there, that sets political policy based upon specific idols that are there. New York at Wall Street controls the financial market with a set of idols that's there. Hollywood, pop culture, has a set of idols that sets different things in the culture. Well, in Acts 19, give a picture of what happens when these two things are brought to bear. And the first thing I want to show you is a collision. Let's look here in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to begin reading in verse 20. I'll read until I stop, and then I'll go back and show you this collision. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he stayed in Asia for a time. And about the time, there arose a great commotion about the way. There's the beginning of the collision. For a certain man named Demetrius the silversmith, who had made silver shrines to Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia. This Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this our trade in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world, and don't miss this last word, worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials in Asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Therefore... Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the whole assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Boy, what a fitting description of our day. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand, and he wanted to make a defense to the people. But when they found out he was a Jew, they all with one voice cried, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple guardian 
of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, Demetrius, therefore, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone. The courts are open and their proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for this uproar today, there being no reason which we may be for account of this disorderly gathering. And when they said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now that's a collision, if there ever was one. It was a crowd of people. It was a mixed multitude. It was all brought up because of the gospel. It was all about Paul and how the gospel came into the culture. You heard them talk about law and you heard them talk about order and you heard them talk about how they, this was a disorderly assembly and, and, and we're in danger of the police coming in and, and calling what we're doing into, into question. There was a collision. And that collision was all because of the, the word of the Lord. Look at back at verse 10. This continued for two years, and all who dwelled in Asia heard the word of the Lord, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Look at how we started in verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now prior to, to both of those verses, prior to both of those things taking place, there wasn't any collision in Ephesus. It was known, as you heard the, uh, the, the orator say in the, in the middle of the, in the middle of the, the, the amphitheater there. Ephesus is the guardian of the great goddess Diana. There wasn't any issue here. But the issue came because the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed and people were coming to Christ. And one of the first things that, that you need to understand, we need to understand, is this: the cultural collision is a crash. This crash that's taking place, this crash that's been taking place since the time of Jesus, this crash that, that you've lived through, this, this most recent collision that's taking place, is not with philosophy. It's not even with political ideas, even though there's, both are involved. It's a collision with, with the gospel. It's unavoidable. Um, if you're faithful to Jesus and you're accurate in your presentation, there will be a collision that's going, to, that's going to take place. How you live and what you say matters. And that's what drives the, the collision here. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. All who dwelled in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. And whenever the word of the Lord Jesus spreads, there's always a response. You've heard the statement, the gospel is offensive. Uh, the gospel is an offense, but you don't have to be offensive in the way that, that you share it. If you share the gospel accurately, if you share it faithfully, it, people aren't going to willingly receive it. Say, oh, thank you so much for telling me that I'm a wicked sinner on the way to hell. I'm unable to do anything for myself. I must cling to Christ. I must repent and believe. And I must die to self and, and lay hold of Christ, make Him my master, and whatever. I, yeah, I would love to do that. You know who does that? People who are broken, people who know that they have no place else to look but up. But, but that's not how you meet people on a daily basis. The people that you work with on a daily basis, some of them are like that. 
the doors open, but quite a few of them aren't like that at all, right? They're fat, dumb, and happy, as they say. Everything's going well in my life. I'm sick. I have money in the bank. I have no issues. So they have no need of Jesus. There's a collision that comes because the gospel is an offense. And it confronts anything that challenges it. And the Bible makes that clear. There have been many definitions for the word culture. And when I say culture, what I mean is a a set of shared attitudes and values that, that characterize a group of people. And every group of people that live in a specific place have a set of ideas or ideals that, that govern them. And a set of values they hold and pursue. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says even the rejection of the gospel is based on, on that. The Jews, for the Jews, the gospel is a stumbling block. It's the idol of their own self-righteousness. They don't want to see the gospel as something given by God, by His grace. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. It's the idol of human intellect and talent that God would stoop to helpless man and die in disgrace and shame and offer those who are too weak to come on their own the assistance of the cross. An idol is not just a piece of wood or a stone carved into an image. It's, a, it's anything that replaces God and, and their idols, their personal idols, sports, money, children, anything you can want to replace God with. Their religious idols, works, unconditional love, tolerance. There are cultural idols, pluralism, socialism, intellectualism, and Romans 1 declares men worship idols naturally and regularly. And because the culture is made up of a collection of men, their ideas, every culture at every time has certain values and ideas, and those are idols. And to the extent that those agree with the gospel, then you won't have a collision. Do you sense a collision today? Yeah. So because the culture doesn't have the same ideals and morals and otherwise that the gospel does. And the culture has the idol of tolerance, the idol of fairness, the idol of acceptance, just to name a few. And as believers, we're called not only to reject those idols, but we're called to confront them. And I'll tell you some more about that before we're done. Why don't you look at verse 23? Not only did this collision come because the word of the Lord was heard, because the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed in verse 20, but look, verse 23 specifically tells us that the commotion, there arose a great commotion about the way. Now, the way is, is the term for Christianity. Do you shy away from controversy? I think if you like confrontation, you probably got an issue. You've got too much testosterone or you just like to fight. One of the two. I don't know. But if you don't like controversy, you won't like the Christian life much. Um, The gospel is a cultural offense. It not only clashes with individual idols, it collides with the culture of the day. And because the culture is an amalgam of idols, it confronts and challenges positions. And there was a great commotion... It came about because of, what are those two words? A way? Is that what it says? The way. Those that embraced the gospel were described as those who had embraced the way. 
the way of life, the way of heaven, the way to God. The point is, it's the way, and the emphasis is on the exclusive part. The gospel of Christ is a narrow gate. It is a small road. It's not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom. But he who does the will of my Father. And the gospel declares the truth, the life, the way. And that's a cultural offense. Tell somebody that you can love Jesus and that you love Jesus, but they can also love their God, whatever their God is. They can keep their idols. They can live, continue to live the way that they want to live, and you probably won't have any problems whatsoever. They would have no problem taking your Jesus and putting him on the shelf with their other little idols, whatever their idols are. Tell them, though, that you have accepted the only way to God... And back that up with a changed life, and you're going to have conflict and great confrontation. Have you ever found people very free to talk about religious things, maybe even God kind of things, but the minute that you start talking about Jesus? Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they talk about God, but they'll never mention the name Jesus? And then you mention the name Jesus and and you watch the change that, that takes place? You probably just hit... You probably just hit this button. The way. Why is there this conflict? Why is there this great commotion? Because the gospel confronts their idol, whatever their idol is. What are the commandments? The Decalogue. There's two parts to it, right? There's the first part that has to do with God. And then there's the second half of the Ten Commandments that have to do with man. It starts with God. You shall have... That's where it starts, right? (laughs) There's one God. There's not many gods. There's not many ways. There's one God. There's one way. And Jesus declares that. It's one of the reasons he got in trouble. And the same reason that Jesus says to you, if you are my follower, the servant won't be greater greater than the master. So it was about the way, and there was also backed up with a changed life. Look at verse 17. This became known, this changed life became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and and burned them in the sight of all, and they... They counted up the value of them with totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The gospel changed their lives completely. They left their former lives, and the change itself was further confrontation. They're salty. The gospel changed them. It altered the way they lived, even the way they worked. The burning of their books... They're spell books, so they couldn't return to their way of livelihood. This is, I mean, these spell books that are here, this is not just like your collection of Harry Potter that you have on your shelves. This is what they did for business. I mean, they, they left their livelihood. This is like the man who's involved in, you know, in, a, in, in the immoral uh, pornography industry, and he, he walks away from it when he comes to Christ and completely changes his, his career. That's, that's what you see here because of a, a changed life. And it was also in a public venue. 
Look at what it says here in verse 8. This confrontation, when Paul comes to Ephesus, he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 9. But when some were hardened and did not believe and spoke evil of the way, before the multitude he departed from them and withdrew his disciples in reason daily in the school of, of Tyrannus. That was a lecture hall where someone who was a philosopher lectured. Paul went there and rented it or received permission, and he taught the gospel there for, for two years. I think we said a couple of weeks ago, one of, if you can find something good that's come out of the ruling, one of the things that is very clear is you're going to find really fast what churches believe the Bible and which churches don't. You're going to find really quickly what believers actually believe the Word of God and the ones that just say they believe the Word of God. You can't hide on this issue. It's a, it's a public issue. Everybody's talking about it. It's, it's not something that, that, you can, that you can just keep in the church. It's going to be in the public venue. And the gospel of Christ was never supposed to be kept in the church, right? It's always supposed to be in the public venue. You see the, you know, the, the, the little um, plaque that, that you put over the door, you know, the church on one side, you know, enter to worship and on the other depart to serve. So when you come in, the body's being gathered together to focus on Christ, but then whenever you, whenever you leave, you take the gospel into the, into the culture. That's what, that's what Paul did. And he aimed his teaching at where people were receptive. He didn't give up whenever he was rejected. He just found a group that was receptive. You can go back to Acts 17, and Paul followed the, the same pattern there, Acts 17, when he went to Athens. He was grieved. He was gripped in his heart. You remember one of the, one of the things that we talked about when we talked about a greater passion for evangelism? The Apostle Paul's heart burned within him whenever he saw the whole city given away to idols. So he went into the marketplace and witnessed of, of, of Christ. There's a confrontation. This confrontation comes about because the word of the Lord was being heard, and the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailed. And, and the word of the Lord was talking about the exclusivity of the gospel. There is the way to, to God. And, and that was backed up by a changed life. And those changed lives were, were in the public. They were in the culture. They were there. Boom. I want you to look at the response of the, of the culture. And we're going to come back to Acts 19, but I want you to turn back to Acts 16 because here's the, a parallel passage. And if you want to do a fascinating study, walk through the book of Acts, through Paul's missionary journeys, and focus whenever he comes into a city, when he comes into a location, and watch what happens when the gospel permeates the area, the culture that's there. Watch how the culture responds Watch how Paul responds, watch how the culture responds, and watch the result. Because this same pattern is what we're seeing in Acts 19, and we're going to see in Acts 16, 16 here. This is when Paul and Silas are imprisoned. Timothy joins Paul and Silas. Lydia is baptized at, at Philippi. And verse 16 it says, Now it happened... As we went to prayer, there was a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination who met us, who brought her masters much 
prophet by fortune telling. And the girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us a way of salvation. Is that what it says? The way of salvation. And she did this for many days. I mean, she was preaching the gospel by following Paul, declaring as an unbeliever. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out of her the very hour. But when the master, when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Do you see the paradigm that's there? There are customs. It's contrary to our culture. It's not lawful for us to accept these things because we're not Christians. We're, we're unbelievers. We're Romans. We're part of our culture to receive or observe. They advocate customs that are not acceptable to us. And the response that you should expect to the culture is this is not acceptable to us. It's not acceptable to the culture for you to say that marriage, like it has always been, has been between a man and a woman. That's no longer acceptable to certain people in the culture. It's not acceptable to the culture for you to say that life begins at conception. It's not it's not what they would embrace. It's 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 they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. And you don't have to guess which idol the culture true Christianity attacks because it'll become obvious. You those of you in here have lived for a long period of time, have you watched the have you watched the idol move along the continuum? It's it's different today than it was fifty years ago, right? I mean, this this didn't this homosexual marriage stuff didn't start just three weeks ago. You take all this all this take it all the way back to the Scopes Monkey Trial or prior to that. You can take it back to uh, the the um, uh, everybody coming home from from the Great War, World War Two. Rosie the Riveter never went back home after the war. And then you had the 60s generation with the whole immorality and free love. And then you had feminism that followed that. And then you had, you know, the 80s and the rebellion that's there. And, and now you've, you've just got another morph. There's just another idol that's, that, that's, that's come up that's there. It's obviously getting worse. It's not getting better. You don't have to guess which idol the culture, true Christianity of tax, it'll be obvious. Somebody was telling me last week that um, uh, that the guys in, in public school, even the football players... Now, let me start with this. When I was in school, and this may have something to do with being in West Virginia, but when I was in school, in high school, it wasn't cool to play soccer. Okay, And I know it is today... Soccer's fine. I can't play it. God bless you, those of you who can. You have way more athletic ability. But when I was in school, you know, you played football. Football was the man sport. And in West Virginia, if you played soccer, I'm sorry, John Alley, but this was something that wasn't cool to do. That was the cultural thing to do. And I was just, I was hearing 
last week how the jocks, even at local schools, public schools here, who used to look down or even pick on the boys that were effeminate or the ones that even declared that, that, that they had some type of uh, you know, homosexuality, they used to say, oh, that's bad. They're now taking up for them. I mean, they, they totally morphed and shifted. Where they used to pick on them, now they're saying don't pick on them. Well, why, is that, why is that the case? The reason is that, that their culture is changing and, and, and that's the idol that they serve. Their idol before wasn't principled, it was, it was the culture. And so as the culture changes, their response changes. And you'll know what the ruling idol is by what stands up and, and squeals. And in Acts 16, no matter what the idol is, you'll usually find money involved. Did you hear that in Acts 16? Look at verse 19, Acts 16. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul in the marketplace. Turn back over to Acts 19. Because you hear this over and over. Look at verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to to the craftsmen. He called them together the workers of similar occupation. You make money from your occupation. Look at what he says to them. Men, we know, you know, that we have our prosperity by this trade. In response to the culture, whatever idol the gospel is, is confronting, based upon where the culture's at, that's the one that's, that's going to squeal, and, and you find them squealing here over economic concerns. It's fascinating to me that three times money or one's living is mentioned here. And back in Acts 16:11, when hope of gain was gone, the first response to has to do with, with cultural writers usually involves money. Did you notice how many companies jumped on the rainbow bandwagon after the Supreme Court decision when everybody was talking about equality? Burger King even had a pride burger at one point. I'll never eat Burger King again. Well, I didn't like it to begin with, Keto, but... Think about this. Less than 3% of Americans identify as homosexual. 3%. That's based upon what the liberals say. 3%. 3% of America is not enough to make a hamburger marketing campaign out of. But when over 50% of Americans approved of equality and even more of the SCOTUS decision, that's big business. So you slap rainbows on your hamburgers and all kinds of other things. Do you think... Now, let me say this. I hate racism. I hate slavery. I have no problem whatsoever giving up any symbol or anything for... a the offense of a brother and sister in Christ. But do you really think that Walmart removed the Confederate flag because they got principled all of a sudden? They removed it because of money. It's all about money. It really is. 
But that's how you should expect unbelievers to respond. And that's how you should expect the culture to respond. And that's how the culture is responding here. Sin is big business. And the gospel attacks it. And when you claim an exclusive belief in God and His law, sin falls on hard times. And that makes men angry. Um, I'm still wondering why I said yes to this, but uh, we have a dog, as you know. And she's a nice dog. But whenever you, you feed your dog and you put food in his bowl, and that dog thinks that you're going to take food away from him. Have you ever done this? You ever got down? When I was growing up, we had a wiener dog, a little dachshund. And, of course, you know, we've got a, a black lab, which they're sweet as can be. But you, know, you get these little tiny dogs, this little wiener dog that we had, just thought, I mean, he was the king of the roost. I mean, you get, ah, he'd just act like he'd tear you all to pieces. And he'd do that whenever he got down to its food, his food. I've tried to get close to a dog's bowl, they growl. The gospel attacks things that take money out of sin's pocket. The gospel attacks sexual, sexual sin. It promotes biblical marriage. It, it demands you call killing babies murder. You really think that Planned Parenthood is in it to promote women's health? You really think that's why they do it? The annual report five years ago reported that the abortion provider had a total income of $1.2 billion with $115 million in profits a year. Is that about women's health? Well, you've got to make money in order to provide for women's health. You really think pornographers are concerned about free speech? $14 billion is spent on pornography annually in the U.S. In 2006, $97 billion was spent worldwide. The industry has larger revenues than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix combined. Every second, $3,075 is being spent on it. Every second, 28,258 Internet users are viewing it. Every 39 minutes, a new video is being created in the United States alone. You ever watch politicians and listen to them? and thought, there's no way that they believe that. Of course, then you find recordings and other things of them, and you realize they really don't believe that. They're just saying that, right? But I listened to them. You really think that they deep down believe what they say? They believe, you know, like the politician that says, I'm against same-sex marriage. I believe marriage is between one man and one woman until you get elected for a second term, and then there's no more elections to call you into account, so you change your position and take credit for it, Right? Really think they believe those things? It's power that comes from ideology. But it's not just money, it's religious. Look at verse 27. I pointed this out to you when we read it. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed. And watch these last words, whom all Asia and the world worship. I don't want you to miss that. While there's money and there's ideology, there's also the, point, the force of worship 
behind it. Isn't that the issue that Jesus begins with in John 15? If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. They love their own. Behind every ideology or money-making system, contrary to Christ, there is a spiritual force. Satan is described as the prince of the power of the, of the air. He reigns over this system. The culture that the gospel confronts is not just competing ideas to see who's best. This is not Christianity versus atheism. This is the name of God being attacked by Satan. You don't fight, fight against flesh and blood. You, you, you fight against powers and principalities. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says Satan's grip is over the minds. In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of the unbelieving, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should, should dawn upon them. And I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians 10 because it tells us what our weapons are. 2 Corinthians 10. What weapons do you use in a, in a spiritual battle? Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There's the, there's the confrontation, there's the collision with the culture. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is, is fulfilled. Paul is saying that only the gospel has the power to deliver in the battle. Don't forget that or you underestimate the power that you fight. You don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Don't forget that or you overlook the souls of the ones that you fight against. And... You also might use the wrong weapons. The only weapon that can fell Satan and his philosophies is the gospel. It alone delivers men from sin and its penalty, which is its grasp. First Colossians chapter one verse thirteen describes salvation as deliverance from one kingdom into another. Colossians one thirteen, who has delivered us out of the out of the the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And this whole thing can get really ugly at times whenever you have a collision and you see the response. You turn back to, to Acts 19 and look at verse 28. I won't ask you to turn anymore. Acts 19, I'm sorry. When they heard this, they were full of wrath. The whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. When you confront 
when you counter with a different life, when you confess Christ to them, you should expect a, an angry response. I hope you don't think whenever you begin to tell people and remind people what the Bible says, what the culture used to believe, I hope you don't expect them to go, oh, I should have had a V8 this morning, right? Thank you so much for clearing it up for me. How are they going to respond? They're going to respond exactly the way it is right here. They're going to be full of wrath. Who do you think you are telling me how to live my life? You narrow-minded, bigoted Christians, stay in your church. Stay out of the public square. We've got the public square. That's what you're going to hear. Is that what you're supposed to do? All of Asia, all who dwelt in Asia, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. A great promotion grew about the way. Is that what Paul and everybody else did? They stayed in their little niches and they stayed in the synagogues and the schools of Tyrannus and didn't confront the culture at all? No, that's not what they did. They spread the gospel all over the place. So what's the result well, if you read, you're going to find that in Ephesus, the culture became more entrenched. The people responded with deeper entrenchment. The Jews tried to disassociate themselves. The Ephesians cried, Great is Diana. The city clerk tried to maintain the status quo to save his own skin because he knew he was going to be accountable to Rome for the riot. And the gospel advanced. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. Chapter 19 ends with, When he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Go back to your ways of life. Go back to making your little idols and go back to your synagogue and I'll keep Rome off my back and this. Verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone over that region, he encouraged them with many words. And he came to Greece and stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, he set sail to Syria, and he decided to return through Macedonia. And so he did. He already told us the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, but he did that after the riot. He would already sent Timothy and Erastus there and the gospel continues to advance. You'll find people who will entrench deeper in the culture, but you'll also find the gospel advancing. So who wins? Two responses to the clash. Anybody seen the Temple of Diana anywhere lately? <laughs> what about the great Roman Empire that the city clerk was so fearful of? Is there a great Roman Empire anywhere? The only reason Israel is alive today is because of God's promise to Abraham and, and David. The gospel of Christ is still advancing, still eternal, still transcendent, still prevails. Across all, it never dies. Never forget, you're on the winning side. And what you have prevails over all time. So, what does that mean for you? All right? I'll end with this slide here. 
I think you can take from the book of Acts three things. You have to confront the culture with the gospel. That's nothing new. Hopefully you've already been doing that. You should expect a collision when that happens. But when you take the gospel into the culture, the idols of the world will squeal. You must counter the culture. You counter the culture by living according to the gospel. The changed life is what gave the way, the saltiness and the power that's, that's there. Don't expect to go into the culture and start calling their marriages into account whenever ours aren't focused on. And then we confess Christ to the culture. That's your, your main goal. The gospel advancing translating people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. I'm going to pray. We're going to go eat. Um, The collision between the gospel and the culture. Next week, the week after, you're going to hear about politics and election. You're going to hear about social media. And you're going to hear about um, life. All these are important topics. Never forget. Uh, Jesus reigns, and the gospel goes forth. And you're here because somebody carried the gospel to you, changed your life, changed your thinking, changed everything, because Jesus changed his lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just looking at this case study about this collision that happens between the kingdom of this world and kingdom of God, between the gospel and the culture, between worldlings and Christ followers, between truth and deception. Father, keep us focused. Keep us unified. Keep us from getting off on tangents. Help us to not hide in our corners. Help us to confront the culture. Help us to counter the culture. Help us to confess Christ to the culture. And as we do, part of the culture will continue to entrench, but the gospel will advance. Help us to do that and rejoice. Bless our food and our fellowship now as we talk and share. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, pizza's out there. Don't forget to pick up your children before you enjoy the pizza.